Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and I'm delighted you took the time to hit play. A special thank you to my Patreon sponsors who contribute monthly to keeping the podcast alive. And if you're interested in sponsoring me, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. He was a humble fisherman. After Christ died, he travelled to Spain to preach Christianity, and on his return to the Holy Land was killed by Herod. His followers took his body back to Spain and buried him in a hillside tomb. His body was discovered 800 years later, and the Spanish built a cathedral to house his remains. It's called Santiago de Compostela, or St. James under a field of stars. The Camino, or Caminos, as there are many routes, winds its way across Europe and leads pilgrims to St. James's remains in the crypt beneath the cathedral. Ah, arriving in Santiago. Pilgrims carry with them a credential, a booklet, or a folded card in which they collect stamps to show the pilgrim's office in Santiago that they have walked, you're here, this far, I've walked this far. And if you can prove you've walked more than 100 kilometres, you're entitled to collect a compostela, a certificate to take with you as a memento of your journey. And the stamps are called cellos, and you can get them in churches, in cafes, in albergues or hostels, in libraries, in bars or hotels. And they're a wonderful reminder of where you've been and what you've achieved. I can look back at my credentials and remember immediately where I was when that stamp was pressed into my life's journey. And the Camino has a great impact on people. It takes us somewhere. Imagine we are all lights, the soul within us like a candlelight. Well, once you've walked the Camino, that light glows like a beacon. You come alive. It may not be a momentous occasion or event. It might simply be a toing and froing in the tide of life, leaving the beach on which you walk smooth and unmarked. I, for one, can't wait to get back there. My friend Claudette Clausen, who I've interviewed here a couple of times on the podcast, says, oh, I can't wait to get back, Dan. But Spain's a long way from Sydney, a long way from Australia, but we'll be back soon enough. I was sitting in the town of Hontanas, working on the lyrics for a song I wrote called Somewhere Along the Way, the Camino song. I was at a table at the cafe in the town square, sitting alone, and I had written the first two lines from kind of inspiration, if you like, from memory, El Camino Roses, an image of the Camino Rose that lines the river snaking through Lorogno, and I had literally stopped to smell the roses on my way into town. The next half line is Santo Domingo Crows, you know the story of the chickens in the cathedral in Santo Domingo de la Cavada. And as I thought about the next line, I looked across the town square and saw written on the back of a park bench on one side of the street, believe you can, you're halfway there. And it's a quote attributed to the former US President Theodore Roosevelt, believe you can, you're halfway there. And I included it in the song, not as a message about walking and reaching a goal, but more as a metaphor for believing we can be a better version of ourselves. And believing such a person exists, a brighter light, a better you, a pilgrim on the Camino and in life. Believe you can, you're halfway there. I keep in touch with pilgrims from all over the world, daily, emails and messages, and I really love it. And it's great to check in, to catch a glimpse of life and learning from all four corners of the globe. My friend Bill Arts wrote to me a while back to suggest I interview his friend Joe Kiro. So I reached out to Joe and was so pleased that he not only agreed to talk to us, but he suggested that we include his daughter Savannah as well. What a blessing for us. Joe and Savannah are on the line from the US. Welcome, pilgrims. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm well. Hey, Savannah. Hey. Okay, Joe, I'm going to start with you. Do you remember when you first heard about the Camino? Yeah, isn't it the same old story with so many people um, in the English-speaking world? Um, uh, it, it was uh, watching the way. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Savannah and I had done a little bit of backpacking here in our state, where we're in the Boston area in the state of Massachusetts. Um, and um, I saw this movie on, on Netflix or something. I said, "Oh, that was cool." Um, so that's the first time, but didn't really think about it too much um, after that. Um, it was only a few years later when. 
I don't know, through there was a program at our church and it was associated with a university uh, down in Tennessee. And I went and was looking at the university's website and I said, look at this university. This They do a program with this um, that thing we saw in the movie, this, this <laughs> Camino de Santiago. So <laughs> that's kind of what, what, what uh, got the thought going. Yeah. And Savannah, you were lucky enough to walk with your father after you finished high school. And do you remember what you imagined it would be like and how it measured up to your expectations once you'd arrived and, and sort of become accustomed to what you were doing and, and what you were going through. Do you remember that moment? Yes, I do. I mean, it was a very different experience than regular backpacking. Um, you know, having done backpacking with my dad in the past, we had to carry a tent and carry all our food. Um, and with the Camino, you know, we discovered that we didn't have to do all those things. We could actually carry a lot less, um, which actually gave another sense of freedom to walking because we didn't have that anxiety of, you know, are we going to have enough food to get us through the week? Um, and, and we knew we could expect to come across a cafe sooner or later or a bar, um, which was a little extra sense of motivation for us. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, uh, having a roof over one's head in the hostels was, was very nice compared to, to sleeping in a tent as we've done in the past and thinking, okay, am I going to get wet from the rain or, you know, have some other issue during the night. Um, so I, I think it, that aspect of walking was, was more, more comfortable and freeing than, than backpacking. But I think the experience itself, you know, going into it, I didn't have a lot of expectations outside of just having some hiking exposure. So it was, it was all very new to me. Um, and it was, I think, even more life-changing than I even expected it to be. Just, I think what surprised me was the level of just community and connection that people built with one another, despite not all speaking the same languages and, you know, being from all over the world and just the level of, um, you know, for a lot of people actually trauma that they were carrying and, and just really intense life stories. Um, a lot of people had, despite, you know, cross backgrounds, had gone through really intense suffering, suffering that, you know, I've I feel that I've been lucky enough to not experience to that level and maybe had not been exposed to um, in any way. And so that was very eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, wow, what a wonderful observation and, and a very an astute observation, Joe. You're walking alongside your daughter and she's seeing this emerge and, and, and you no doubt have seen this very empathic uh, young woman experiencing this. Tell us about walking with your daughter, Joe. First of all, why did you ask her to come with you? And, and secondly, what was it like? What, tell us about the experience of it. Oh, Dan, you start with an assumption. So when I was, um, I got the idea in my head of going over to, to uh, walk the Camino. And I gingerly approached my, my wife and I said, would you be okay if I were to take off for six weeks and kind of walk this thing in Europe and Savannah was standing in the kitchen and she said, I'll go. <laughs> I see. <laughs> and honestly, it was great because she sealed the deal. <laughs> um, it was, it was great walk, <laughs> walking with her. I mean, we had done, as we mentioned, we did, you know, a, a decent length backpacking trip, a little under a hundred miles, um, few years before it's the mid-state trail cuts through the through the state of Massachusetts from north to south um, so we we knew that we could uh, um, function well in, in in that way um, but but we traveled well and actually in preparation for the interview we were kind of going through our our journals and I'm I'm looking at this um, entry from the 4th of July on uh, in 2019 and it says tomorrow we enter Santiago it has been a long journey. Savannah and I have traveled well together. I don't think we have had any serious disagreements, 
and we have been quite good at making decisions together. It, it was we were like a a, a, a unit. Um, we we had the same style. We had a a motto. We said um, we don't go fast, but we go long, <laughs> and um, that's pretty much the way we we attack the Camino. Um, I was thinking this was some unique thing or rare thing when we went over. I mean, because literally it was the day after she graduated high school, we got on a plane for Paris. And the very first two pilgrims we met were a um, father and daughter from Colorado. The daughter had graduated the same day, a couple of days before. <laughs> and they were doing the same thing, which wow. um, was, yeah, I was like, whoa, um, okay. Um, it's not that unusual, but it's it, it was a great, um, great experience. Yeah. We, we share a lot of interests. So it, it was it was really, really good. And Savannah, what a blessing to finish that period of your life, your, high, your school years before you're heading off to college. And I want to get to that in just a moment. But I guess it was a kind of like a, a it was like a full stop or, or an exclamation point at the end of that period of your life. Yes, it, it was. And it was time to reflect on on what my high school years and schooling had been, um, you know, I was preparing to move to college a thousand way, miles away from home, which was going to be a huge transition and move from the northern part of the United States to the southern part, um, which are, it's very different, very different culturally, very different geographically, much hotter climate um, than I was used to and less seasons. Um, and, you know, I... My high school experience had been pre-pandemic, but, you know, during a time where there's been a lot of changes in the United States um, and some level of, I guess you could say, um, strife and turmoil. And so there was a lot of processing that I had on top of, of just going through my regular school life, but just observing a lot of rapid change in my country. Um, and, you know, I had had a really just stressful experience of applying for colleges as well. You know, went to a very high pressure high school with students trying to get into really top universities. And I admit that I think I got a little swept away by it. And the Camino allowed me to reset and just sort of remember what really matters, um, that simplicity can be better. And I actually as sort of commemoration of my high school experience and a way of sort of moving past that into my new uh, college life, I brought a small piece of brick from my high school building, actually, and put that at the foot of Cruz de Ferro. Mm. Um, and, and, and that was symbolic in, in multiple levels. You know, it was representing my, my high school past and, and moving away from my, my hometown to this new place in, in a thousand miles away, but but also that building is no longer standing. It is it has been renovated since and and torn down. Um, and a new school building is there. So there's actually physically not even that 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 school building, but there is a little piece of the building in Spain now. <laughs> That's so great! Oh wow, <laughs> I got goosebumps when you were talking. Then I got goosebumps. That's amazing! What a great story. And Savannah, I'm going to stay with you because your dad wrote to me and said you're a musician and organist, and I'd love to know about organs and organ music in Spain. But first, um, look, I'm a, I'm a serial um, stalker when I have my guests on, and I found you on LinkedIn, and you're studying history and music performance at Mercer University, organist and lay minister. And it says, invested in strengthening religious communities through the historical examination an ecumenical partnership, as well as the promotion of the arts. So, what do you want to do? What are you trying to achieve? And how did the Camino contribute to that journey that you hope to, to eventually undertake? Yes. So, um, I think that last bit, that in part that with ecumenical relationships with the arts is referring to some of my work um, as a young adult intern for a local presbytery, um, collection of churches of the Presbyterian Church. Um, I 
I'm I'm working on trying to build a worship service that brings together Presbyterian and Episcopal churches within the area, um, in part through music um, as a church organist, um, as well as dialogue, because there has been um, traditionally some misunderstandings between uh, the Episcopal Church and the Presbyterian Church, because all of these very, very different. However, a lot of the values of the two churches are extremely similar, Mm. um, and especially some of the commitment to justice work. And, you know, as I've gone through college studying music and history, I've had the opportunity to study the church history of the Episcopal Church um, within Georgia, the home state of my university. And I've been able to use that in some of this work that I'm doing to try to um, build some stronger relationships between the Episcopal Church and Presbyterian Church in the area, um, mm. especially when it when it comes to, um, you know, trying to um, reflect upon some of the church's struggles in past the present when it comes to some racial issues, um, because you know, a, a lot of, of, of my work has, has focused on, um, you know, how the, in the United States there there had been, um, you know, civil war and um, an confederacy where there's, there's, slavery had been, you know, a huge part of the, the culture and economy in the American South. And it really soaked into every aspect of life, including church life. And there is still has to be a lot of healing to be done. Um, and i sort of had a commitment to using my skills as a historian to try to um, reflect upon some of the harm, the real extreme harm and that have been done by those kind of racist institutions um, that, you know, formerly existed and continue to exist. And, you know, with, with all of this kind of work that I'm doing and in various various areas i'm hoping to you know eventually be able to go to seminary and study theology um and continue doing some of this justice work um through my music and study as a historian as well wow wow Good luck, and, and I think that's absolutely outstanding. Crikey, Joe, you must be so proud of Savannah. I'm very proud. I'm very proud. I'm oh. proud of both of my daughters. I have two daughters, and I'm, I'm very proud of both of them. How fantastic. Wow. All right, so, Savannah, tell us about organs in Spain. Sure. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll fully admit at the time that I had – uh, gone to Spain, I knew close to nothing about Spanish organs. Um, but I did have the, I guess, the pleasure of, of this past year, actually, this past semester, having an entire unit about Spanish organ music um, in my organ literature class, uh, studying the history of the organ uh, throughout Europe. And there, there's a lot of, one of the things about Spanish organs that sets them apart is that they have a lot of uh, these pipes, they're called reed pipes, that mimic uh, trumpets and generally, um, and, you know, other kinds of reeds. And they they call them like battle mounts, and they, they stick out, you know, outward towards the congregation, which is very unusual for an organ. So rather than having the pipes vertical, um, you know, across if you're if you're looking um, at the instrument itself on the facade, and a lot of Spanish organ music, um, while you know, at, the, at its height at least, was you know, of course, some of it designed for the Catholic Mass, but um, because so many some of the masses were chant based, they'd either be um, you know, used for alternatums. So, so there'd be a, a line of chant sign and then a line of organ music. But much of actually Spanish music was designed to sort of drum up support for some of Spanish conquests. And there's a lot of very militaristic organ music, um, which those trumpet stops and trumpets came into use uh, very handily for. Um, and 
you know, one of the things that I think this is a little side note, kind of funny thing, but when we were studying the, the some of the main composers of Spanish organ music this semester, we were we happened to be uh, <laughs> currently, you know, um, the state's baseball team was in in the World Series, and many of the the players on our baseball team shared names of the <laughs> Spanish organ composers. So we were having very much fun. Um, <laughs> Thinking about thinking about oh yes like this could be the theme the theme of, of this baseball player with this organ music with this composer um, during class because organists are this is kind of a quirky thing kind of known for their for love of, of baseball in addition to organ music. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. Oh wow, what a journey you've been on, and the journey you have ahead of you is just so exciting. So, Joe. You said that you'd listen to the podcast and, and, and many episodes, and pilgrims talk often to me about the Camino Provides. Was that your experience? Have you, have you experienced the Camino Provides? Yeah, I, I, I want to answer that in a couple of parts. I mean, the, the Camino Provided. So when, when we went on the Camino, it was really um, – it was a milestone year for me in a, a, a number of ways. So Savannah's our first child, and she was she was leaving, going away. That was a big um, a big milestone. Um, we were um, my wife and I were celebrating um, twenty five years of marriage that year. That's a big milestone. I was observing twenty years of service for the same company, which was a big milestone. And I, I had also gone through some big. Um, uh, leadership changes within the part of my my, my organization that I, I work in, and and you know that was that was kind of a milestone too because I uh, the guy who had been there before had been there for twenty years. We were very close, so there are a lot of these milestones. And um, my in walking, I mean, I approached the Camino as a way to kind of um, process those, observe those. Um, and have the space to, to think about them and what they meant in um, in my life. I, I, I think that one thing that pushed me over the edge to to, to really take seriously um, the approach to walking the Camino was um, um, I, I was very active in my my um, uh, local community. I, I served on it's called the Select Board here, but it's it's the equivalent of our town council. And um, 2018, I mean, the, the weekend um, of thanks, our Thanksgiving here, uh, I got a call the day after Thanksgiving, and one of my uh, colleagues on the board um, had um, he had emceed his 50th high school reunion, um, I think, the, on that Friday night, and uh, he went home and, and never woke up. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that really rattled me and um, it made me think, you know, you've got to, if, if there's something that you're, you want to do, you, you have to do it while, while you can, um, you know, before you're too old or you have illness or we don't know what's, what's in our future. So that's the first part of the answer. I think the second part of the answer, though, is that um, – I, I think some other some of the other pilgrims have talked to you about about this, and I, I sometimes I don't know if we really talk about it enough, but how difficult reentry can be when you come back from the Camino, because you do have this space, you do have this peace when you're on the Camino, but eventually it ends, and you have to come back to real, the, the, the quote unquote real world as 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 it may be, and, and I came back, and there were some challenges at work. There were some real challenges in the, my civic duties, um, even some challenges within my, um, you know, extended family, which were all very, it was very difficult to approach after having this wonderful experience on on the uh, Camino. <laughs> one, um, one, one guy I know um, who, who, who was really interested in what, what I had done, he said, well, Joe, I mean, I know it's a tough time now, and it appears that you you walked over 500 miles to toughen yourself up for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's, that's kind of um, the, the way I would answer answer your question, Dan. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, wow. So when you talked before about um, your role at in your work, it was 20 years in the same place, but just now you talked about civic duty. What What do you mean, Joe? What's, what's civic duty or is that your job, a civic duty, some sort of civic duty? No, my civic duty, like I said, so I've, I, I served as a local, elected fish official in my my um town for uh 13 years so i was oh. i was four year four years on our school board so responsible for um education for the school the public schools in the town and then i was um nine years on our select board it's, it's essentially it's a town town council with the executive board for the, oh, the town we right. have a lot of, so that that's what the civic the civic duty was so so actually, you know, Savannah said that she brought a piece of her high school <laughs> up to Cruz de Ferro. Um, actually, when we went on the Camino, there were two very important ballot questions happening within our town. One was to rebuild her high school, the voter support to rebuild her high school. Another one was for some other financial measures. But one piece of those financial measures that I had pushed um, to, to get included was um, more repairs to our uh, sidewalks and pedestrian areas. So I actually brought, she brought a piece of her crumbling high school. I brought a piece of the crumbling sidewalks from our <laughs> town center up to Cruz de Ferro. And that's what I placed there. And for me, that was very important in a number of ways. Um, we, I pushed to fix the sidewalks partly to, to assist people with mobility who had challenges, you know, seniors and others with who face disabilities and, and, and such. And we, we, um, the, the state of some of the sidewalks was such that, that they faced challenges. And I also thought about other people I knew, um, like my father, who, who really don't have any mobility left anymore. And in a sense, in, in leaving that piece of sidewalk for me, I was, I was, I was keeping those folks in, in mind and, and in a way walking for them as well. Wow, great answer. That's fabulous. Savannah, I want to talk about the Camino itself. Um, how far did you and Joe walk each day? Yes, so it was it was pretty varied. Um, as my dad said, we talked about how we, <laughs> we, we go line but, but slow. Um, so for a few days where we we had marathon days where we, we actually walked, you know, the equivalent of a marathon over 26 miles. Um, wow. And, and, and in, in part because there were a few times where we wanted to to get to the next city for the fiesta that we heard was going on. <laughs> um, particularly on our segment, Going to Yon. Um, and it was well worth it. But we, you know, and then some days we would walk, we'd walk less, you know, closer to maybe eight to 10 to 10 miles. It was just all dependent on how we were feeling that particular day, you know, what the situation was with the hostels. But I never felt like, you know, we, we had walked too far or, or too, too short per day. It's, we very much took the approach of you walk your own Camino and it, it, it definitely made the experience a lot more enjoyable and pleasant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just one more thing. Cause one more thing, Dan, that, 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 that marathon day, that 26 mile day to Lyon, I, I, I bribed her because, <laughs> because I said, because I said, if, if we do this, we do double stage, 26, 26 miles, however many kilometers that is, we can get a rest day and we'll stay in a nice hotel. And she said, okay. So that, <laughs> that is pretty good motivation. I have to say <laughs> that is pretty good motivation. So pilgrims, Joe, pilgrims think nothing of working on others blisters or maybe carrying their pack for them for a while, maybe buying them a meal. And you speak with pilgrims all the time in your role as uh, a leader in the local chapter of American pilgrims on the Camino. Do you find generally in your dealings with pilgrims that back home they continue to practice the same generosity? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I had a wonderful day today, Dan. I mean, I went... Um, um, 
I, I don't know. I don't know how, how familiar you are with some of the American history, but we, we live very close to Lexington and Concord, where uh, um, the, the first battles of the American Revolution took place. And there's a national park there um, with, with uh, it's called the Battle Road. It's where the British um, marched and retreated from on the first first day. Of, of the revolution. And uh, so we, we, we had a 12 mile hike today along that, that route um, with a, a bunch of pilgrims and um, th they were very generous. And there were, there were, um, there was a couple that happened to live across the street from, from the, uh, the walk location. And they, they came over and um, the, the wife um, had a couple of uh, scallop shells on, on strings. And she, she really wanted to give them to, um, uh, people who were on the walk who were getting ready to walk their first Camino. So she, she came, she didn't actually join us. Her husband joined us for the whole way, but she, she came across specifically to, uh, to do that. And I, I just, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. That's I just lovely. thought that was wonderful. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and pilgrims are so happy to help somebody who, who might be going for the first time to give them some advice and, and maybe encourage them. In fact, I can't remember who I gave my Brearley guide to. I was trying to find it, and I've given it to somebody, and I can't remember who I gave it to. My wife said, you're always doing things like that. I said, well, yeah, I don't know. It'll come back to me eventually, I suppose. But Dan, um, I, I have one other example, too, from our local chapter. So I, I'm a co-coordinator of the Boston chapter of American Pilgrims on the Camino. I'm also, also on the national board. Um, but a lot of our chapters, we have about – I think right now about 57 chapters around the country. And um, a lot of our chapters will do um, shell ceremonies. They'll do like a potluck or a picnic and and do a, um, a shell ceremony every, every year for the pilgrims. And this year at ours, we had a, we had a picnic and right before the picnic, there was a woman from California who wrote to us at the chapter. And she said, I used to be from Cambridge, next town over. My brother is suffering from cancer and he's, he's a devout Catholic. And I think he would find the Camino meaningful. Is there a pilgrim in your chapter who is getting ready to go on the Camino who would be willing to um, carry his picture? And um, so I asked at the, at the picnic, is, is there anyone? And there was a, a guy who was getting ready to go and do his first Camino. So he got them in touch with one another. He took the picture with him, but he didn't just take the picture with him. A couple of weeks later, he emailed me and it was this giant email. He had taken the picture and in every albergue and in every cafe that he stopped at, he gave the picture to people he had met there and took a picture of them holding it and, and, and holding, holding the brother of this, this woman in, you know, in their hearts. And and uh, that to me was the, the the Camino spirit. I mean, he went above and um, and beyond there. Huh. That's awesome. That is so great. So, Joe, staying with you, why do you think the Camino encourages this benevolence in us? Because we're all we're, we're all in the same playing field there. I mean, I think that's that's yeah. the easiest way to explain it. And and I think you know those of us who have walk the Camino, we, we know this feeling. I mean, we, we meet people from all over the world and it doesn't matter what the geopolitical situation is between the countries or, 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 or whatnot. We, we, um, we just approach one another as, as individuals and as fellow pilgrims. And that, that's for starters. And, you know, as a lot of people observe and a lot of your guests have, have observed that, you know, by and large, you know, the first question out of another pilgrim's uh, mouth is not going to be, so what do you do? You know, yeah. um, they're not, they're not going to ask you what, what is your profession as, as, as if that defines all of who you are. You, you get to it in conversations a lot of times. And a lot of times it's very interesting, but you, you don't lead with it. You, you, you are, you're first and foremost, your fellow pilgrims, you're on, you're you're um, you're walking with that pack with everything that, that that you need in that pack, and I think that that's a great equalizer. Yeah, that's right. You're coming from the same place. We're all on the level playing field. Great, I love it, Savannah. What did you learn about yourself on the Camino de Santiago? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is I realized that. 
so often I'm just going, going, going so busy that I forget to stop and appreciate what's around me. Because one of the things that I experienced was that despite having left home, you know, arrived in another country, I still almost felt this like phantom anxiety with me. It was as if my body was still going, despite there being nothing on the agenda um, that was set in stone. And, you know, I just, I realized that I just don't stop enough to just appreciate the moment and that, you know, life is now. It's right now. It's it's not two minutes from now. It's not five years from now. It's And it's not five years back. And I think I also learned from stepping away from some of the pursuits that I had been involved at home, you know, especially even just my music practicing because at that point, you know, preparing for university and entering the organ performance program was having to practice about four hours a day. Um, that, you know, often that can become very route, that routine of it. And you don't see to the point that, you know, it's, it becomes a check on the box. And so it allowed me to, to sort of reset, appreciate the time that I have, to make music more and, and not just see it as, you know, hours on, in, in the day, um, but, but more of, more of a privilege to be able to, to, to play um, and to be able to study the organ. And, you know, and I, I think I also just, just learned that I am capable of more than I think that I sometimes um, think I am able to, you know, I think just the challenge of, of going on the Camino and, and knowing that you're going to have a long distance to go, but that you cannot be in control of what happens along the way. It's, it's out of your control was, was also really a moment of, of growth for me. It, It allowed me to be, to humble myself. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you found yourself sitting in a town square at a, at a, at a table full of people from all around the world, you, I'm no doubt you're the same as me, Savannah. You thought, well, you know, like Joe said, where it's a level playing field and, and, and we're all in this together. And in many ways, that's the, one of the beautiful things about the Camino. But Savannah, what did you make of other people? And, and what did you learn, perhaps, from some of those people that you met and, and walked with and talked with? I mean, one of the things that I did experience was, you know, I I was still a younger person, you know, walking on average, like much younger. Um, and, you know, being 18 years old, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are walking who are much later on in life, um, you know, might have... 10, 20 or more years on me. And I think f- f- from, from that, it, it gave me the opportunity to step back again and take that moment to sort of appreciate life where it is. Because a lot of these folks, I think, were, were in a similar boat where they may have been just going, going constantly and not had a moment to reflect and maybe had perhaps wished that they had done so earlier mm-hmm. and had slowed down. Um, from that kind of pace of life. And, you know, and I think too, as a, from, again, from the perspective of being a younger person, with the interactions I had um, with young people, um, I got to see how so so many, many, many of the younger people that were there, you know, they, they had given up jobs or to, to do it. They had just let go, you know, decided to let go of everything because they just weren't sure what the direction of their life was going. Um, maybe they had gone to university, but they just hadn't landed on a career yet. Um, that was satisfying. And I think that gave me a lot of courage and hope that, you know, I don't have to get stuck doing something if it's not fulfilling me. 
um, even, you know, it's life is, is, is more than, than just getting a career as my dad was kind of talking about with people asking questions about what do you do for a living, not really being on the table. It was, it was definitely very inspiring for me to see those younger people who were able to take those risks. Um, and you know, so that they didn't end up going 20 years being unhappy with what they were doing with their career and then look back and wonder what were they doing all that time. Wow. Wow. Gosh, Savannah, very impressive. (laughs) I'm delighted I have this opportunity to talk to you because I'm learning so much from from both of you. Joe, take us back um, to the days and weeks before you went did you and Savannah sit down each night and do a lot of research? And are you what I call spreadsheet pilgrims? Did you have it all planned out? Um, or, or did you make it up as you were going along? Yeah, I, th- I think we mostly made it. I'd say we mostly made it up as we as we went along, to be honest. Right. Um, book, booked out a couple of things ahead of time. So we, we, we knew for certain Partly because of our travel schedule, we knew for certain we wanted to stop in Oresan, so we had to book that ahead. And we booked ahead in Oronsosphalus, and um, I, I think that's as far as we went, as far as booking ahead. We really didn't – we resisted it for quite a while um, dur- during the walk. So I would say that we weren't really uh, spreadsheet pilgrims. We had the Briarly Guide. Savannah had it in her backpack. I'll be honest, we didn't pull it out that much. Mm. Uh, so, sometimes we did. I, I had another guide, the Village to Village guide, loaded onto my phone, and I'd take a look at that sometimes for the um, topography coming up, you know, the yeah. uh, what we, we had ahead, and, and uh, recommendations on, on um, you know, places to stay and, and, and such. But I think we we kind of, we did we 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 rolled with it. So I I think that that example of uh, doing the marathon day to get to Lyon is, is an example of that. We heard there was a fiesta. The way we were going to get to participate in the fiesta was to to really hoof it for a long time that day. We did the opposite too. We the most powerful night for me, and I think Savannah shares the, shares this this um, sentiment. The most powerful night was. Um, the night we spent in the uh, chapel of San Nicolas, which is run by one of the Italian confraternities. And um, <laughs> I knew it was on the Camino because we'd watched a bunch of the YouTube videos and such. But honestly, I hadn't really mapped out where it was going to come. I figured when it comes, we'll see it, we'll stop. Unbelievable experience. It, it really um, has, has never um, left uh, left me. Um, I... I I don't know if you're familiar with San Nicolas and what they what they do there, um, Yavions, but you, you walk in. It's a very small old chapel, but when you walk in, there are no pews in the place. They've, they've removed all of the pews. When you look to the right at the back of the nave, there are um, eight bunk beds, and up in the old choir loft, there are four more sing, single beds up there. Where the pews would be, there's a giant, long table and um they welcome you to come in so only 12 people can stay there when we walked walked in um they you know they greeted us warmly and they said we'll we you know relax wash your clothes whatnot we'll ring the bell for dinner so they uh, will ring the bell when we're ready you know at, at dinner time so they rang the bell but before dinner they invite all of the pilgrims to come up to the front to where the sanctuary used to be in this, this chapel. Um, the hospitalero puts on a cape. It has the, the, the symbol of St. James on it and some shells. He goes to each pilgrim and one by one, he asks, he asks them to take off their shoes. He, he blesses you on your journey, welcomes you to San Nicholas, washes your foot and then kisses it. And it was so powerful, Dan. Um, he did that, and then he invited us to the big table after he was he was done with that. Um, he said, "We're going to say grace." <laughs> he um, he sat down. He looked very serious. He said, he crossed himself and he said, "Bon appetito." <laughs> and, and he opened these curtains on the side of the chapel, and all of this spaghetti and bread and. and salad and lots of red wine came out 
it was such a powerful experience. And it was almost like a miracle, too. A, a lot of people want to stay there. There were only 12 places. Something had happened where there was, I don't know if there were two people had come and they couldn't stay or whatnot. For some reason, there was one bed left. And we were in the middle of dinner, and there was this Hungarian kid who came dragging himself up to the door. And he said, oh, I was walking and I left my credit card or my wallet or something. And he had left it like 15 or 20 kilometers back. He walked all the way back over hills and everything else, got it. And it came back and he, he didn't know where he was going to stay, but there was one bed just happened to be there. So the Camino provides, but if we had been a spreadsheet pilgrim and had really mapped things out, I mean, we, we could have missed and, uh, um, could have missed that opportunity. Yeah. I wasn't actually aware of that church until I came home. It's between Castro Jerez and Fremista, I think, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's right next to a river and you're passing into one of the other. It's, it's like the border of the two regions right. within, within that, that area, yeah. Yeah, wow, how fantastic. Uh, so... That's the Camino itself. But coming home, uh, it sometimes takes a little getting used to. You've both talked about that. But now, Savannah, sometime down the track, how does the Camino surface or manifest in your everyday life now? Yeah, so uh, to your point about it being hard to come back, um, one little story I have is I was, you know, adjusting to college it was the first semester and I was really missing the Camino just the Camino spirit just just really down about it and you know kind of reflecting on the Camino and looking back at my journal and I went I went out to get some food from the student center and I'm walking and the student comes near me and I'm looking and she's wearing this shirt Camino de Santiago and, um, you know, and I go to a pretty small university, so like under 3,000 students, so not too many. And um, turns out she had been walking the same summer. And so we just stopped in the middle of a busy student center and just started talking and talking about our experiences. And, um, you know, it was just it was like one of those just moments where it just reminded that, you know, the Camino, the experiences you have on the Camino, the Camino spirit lasts as you go. But approaching I guess into my life more broadly and you know as I entered college I th- I think the 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 thing that I that took away is that level of, of peace that I had and you know even if I'm not on the surface level feeling that peace I can still have a memory of what that felt like and sort of dig into that and and tap into that if I need to and if I, you know, take a moment and as I entered the semester and, you know, was in a very different place, very different culture than I had grown up in um, with, you know, even though it was still the United States, um, I think that ability on the Camino to, to interact with people with very different life experiences really helped that, that transition. Um, and ease some of the culture shock that I was experiencing and perhaps made me more open-minded um, to, to, this, to this, this new environment that, that I was entering. Wow. That's great. And what did your friends and, 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 and your classmates or college mates make of the cellos? Did you show them when you came back, Savannah? Yeah, so I, I didn't actually show them the stamps and, you know, <laughs> To be honest, when I think about it, looking back, um, I don't think I actually talked that much about it right. when I was at school. And I think, you know, in part, it was just, it was such an experience that I felt like it was almost just that too hard to explain to other people to understand, for them to understand it fully, especially at just a younger age. And it, I didn't want to like take away, I mean, this might sound almost like a little bit selfish, but I just didn't want to take away from that piece that I had and that experience, at least in those initial months. And, you know, I'll, 
and a sense that I think I started able started opening up about it more um, as I found people who I felt were willing to kind of go to that deeper level um, and have that sort of just kind of more intellectual, deeper spiritual kind of level conversation about it. Because, you know, I think it's just, you know, some of these, these, these moments that we've even been describing in the podcast, they're, they're very personal. They're very, um, and very powerful. And you want to give them um, the, the right weight and you don't want to sort of understate them. Um, and that, that that's part of just sort of, I guess, the, the magic of the Camino as well. Um, just, just how powerful it is. It's, it's, and I, I wanted to, you know, what I've conveyed that experience to other people sort of convey the, just the level of how it affected me and on a very genuine manner. Um, yeah. and yeah. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's such a great answer. Gosh, I'm just so blown away by this conversation, Joe and Savannah. I really thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. Um, I, I got this great email um, from Joe Savannah um, because you're at Mercer University. And is it Macon, Georgia, Joe? Macon? Yeah, Macon. 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 Yeah. yeah. And Joe says, I always tell Savannah she's in the wrong kind of music for Macon, a city that brought us Little Richard and Otis Redding, was the longtime home of the Allman Brothers and Capricorn Studios. And Joe says, I was a wee bit jealous that Savannah got to sing at Capricorn after her university revived the place. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I can tell just by talking to you that there is a great love um, for you in your family and a great love of one another. And I'm certain, Joe, your, your beautiful wife would be, and your other daughter as well, would be really pleased for you that you have had the opportunity to share this journey together. And I'm so pleased that I've had the opportunity to share a little bit of this journey with you as well. Thank you, Savannah. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And thanks, Joe. Thanks for your kindness and and your love as a father for encouraging Savannah to join us in our discussion as well. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a delight, frankly, to talk to both of you. So buen camino to both of you. Buen camino, Dan. My guests this week, Joe and Savannah Curo from Boston in America. What a great interview, isn't Savannah? Just the hope of the side. <laughs> it's just so great to hear a young person with such a blessing for all of us and just such a blessing to share the love of a father and his daughters. Just so, so lovely, so wonderful. Remember that line attributed to the former US President Theodore Roosevelt, believe you can, you're halfway there. A brighter light, a brighter you. A special thank you to my Patreon sponsors for keeping the dream alive. Patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins if you'd like to sponsor the program. Thanks so much for your company this week and every week. I just love it so much. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way.